Amen. Thank you all for leading us to the throne. Thank you for singing of God's grace and His beauty and His wonder. And what it means then for us as we continue this journey of looking at the, the, the heroes of the faith, of, of God's heroes, and finding every time that God's heroes really are normal people, flawed people, weak people. And we'll encounter that as well today with Elijah. And uh, you know, Elijah is not necessarily one of those uh, characters that maybe we know as well or spend as much time in, in the, the stories of Elijah, but he is is the, the prophet of all prophets. Um, he's the, the first of the prophets. And uh, he's the, the, the one, uh, you may, some of you may remember there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is on a mountain with three of the disciples and then the, the Father speaks over him and then Jesus is like transformed into a, it's called the transformation. And in that um, meeting, in that place, then with Jesus and then the, the disciples, the three disciples see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. That's pretty uh, high company right there. But that gives you a sense of who um, Elijah is and why he's a, a hero of the, the faith. And what we'll, we'll see with him sort of set the scene is that um, he, he's a, a prophet in the days when Israel has been split into the two, the people of God, into the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. And the, the king is Ahab of northern Israel and, and Jezebel. And they have led the people to worship other gods, to worship Baal, to worship Asherah. Um, they're the, the pagan gods of the day. And um, uh, Elijah is there to speak um, to the people, to, to correct Ahab and Jezebel, to lead the people of God back to the God of creation, back to Yahweh. And, and one of the things Elijah does is, um, well, or God does through Elijah, is he brings a, draw, a drought over the people. And it's a drought over the land that ends up lasting about three years. So it's not just a few days, but a rather long time. And Elijah is the one that says, this is what God is bringing, a drought along the land, and it will not stop until... Until he tells me to pray for the drought to stop. Um, and during that time, uh, Elijah is provided for. Part of the time, he lives with a, a family, a mother and her son. And in that time, um, the son dies and Elijah uh, resurrects the, the son. And during that time, they always have food. They have a, a jug of oil that miraculously never goes out. And they have a jar of flour as well that miraculously never Empties. And, and this is Elijah's, what's happening in Elijah's life up to the point that we you know, will intersect the events of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse um, 17. It's found on page 283 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word as it speaks to us of your, your truth, of your goodness, of your power, of your, your beauty, of your grace, uh, what we would ne never know except for your word. And now we ask that your spirit would speak to us uh, collectively and speak to us individually, make your word come alive as to the, the places in our lives that you are speaking um, to us. Where we need correction, bring correction. Where we need encouragement, um, bring encouragement so that we might glorify you in uh, all that we say and do. 
In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, the, the, the drought is about to be coming to an end, and so Ahab and Elijah are about to meet. So we pick it up there, First uh, Kings 18, uh, chapter 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assemble for me at Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. All right, so now Baal and Asherah, they're the, the gods of fertility. They're actually the gods of rain and those kind of things. So, I mean, God is, the Yahweh, the God of Israel, is bringing this drought to show that he is powerful and they are not. And now it's, it's time for this to come to an end. And what Elijah is going to do is proposing this contest between Baal, Asherah, and Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what they're going to do is they're both going to set up an altar and set up a, um, a, a bull to be sacrificed, and then they're, they're going to call out upon the name of God and see which one brings fire upon the sacrifice. And so that's, that's the contest. Now, the gauntlet has been set, and so now we'll pick it up in verse 26. So they took the bull, that was, this is the, these are the prophets of Baal, that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud! Surely he is a god. Either he's meditating, or he has wandered away, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, as was their custom. They cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice no answer, and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. That's about four gallons. Next, he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Again, he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time, so that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. 
that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. Then they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and killed them there. I, I want to just hang out with this part of, of Elijah's, um, uh, the events of, of Elijah's life um, and, and look at, uh, really metaphorically at uh, what Elijah is doing and what we see that, that God's heroes, that they will boldly promote the goodness and power of God and they will uh, directly oppose all false gods. Now, what we see with uh, Elijah here is he's leading the charge to, to cast out the idols, to cast out the, the false gods of Baal and Asherah that are in the lives of Israel. Now, this is sort of a, a hard thing for us to grasp because we don't have idols. You know, we don't have little figures made of wood or stone or metal that we worship and we don't gather in, in worship services specifically to worship anyone else but, but Jesus, you know, but uh, the God of, of creation, um, the God of redemption. So uh, what exactly, how do we understand this kind of passage for ourselves? Um, think, think about well, what does it mean to be God? What does it mean for, for us to have a God? What, what, what to, that, that, that means that we desire Him or whatever it is is our God above all else. That, that we love or obey or, or serve whatever is our God. That is in reality our God. Whatever it is that we desire, we obey, whatever it is that we, we serve, whatever it is that the very basis of our decisions in life is what becomes our God. In a sense, you know your God by the answer of the question of why. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you make the decisions that you make? Why is it that you live? And for the God of the Scriptures, He is the one who is to be the desire of our lives. He is the one that we are to obey in all ways. So think about then for us, what, what might be in your own life a false God? an idol, something else that is your why besides Yahweh, something else that is the basis of your decisions. I began to think of a number of things. It could be my God, a false God for me. One that could be um, that my God is reducing stress, anxiety, and fear and having physical peace. It's not a bad thing. 
It's a good thing. But it's not to be my God. It's not to be the very reason that I make decisions. Or it could be that I make the decisions, do the things I do, say the things I say in order to gain popularity. In order to to have more people like me. And that can be my God. It could be financial security. Achievement. Achievement at school or at work or on the stage or on the field. That can be the reason, the why of life. Why we do what we do. False gods that take the place of Jesus could be safety. Safety for myself, safety for my family, or even just personal pleasure. That becomes the reason that I do the things that I do. Invite you to take a moment, and, and not just a moment, but to take this week even and, and consider what are the false gods in your life? What are the idols? What are the, the things that are the very basis of your decisions that maybe at times come in higher order than Jesus? And look at the actions that Elijah took. He, he, he directly opposed the gods of Asherah and Baal. And he even uh, went and captured all 400 of the prophets and killed them. That was the law of the day for the false prophets of the people of God were to be collected and exterminated to eliminate the forces and influence that promote the false gods among God's people. So when you've, uh, as God's heroes, when you've encountered, what are the false gods in your life? What are those idols? Then the other question is, well, what are those prophets around you that influence us, that point us, that encourage us even to follow after the false gods, the idols of our day? Where are those voices? Where do they they come from? And, and, And how do you, in today's age, eliminate them? Not like in the Old Testament. Don't eliminate them like in the Old Testament. I mean, if it's people that are around, maybe you just need to go hang out with some other people. Or if it's voices in, in, in you know, popular culture and media and whatever it might be, turn them off. Close them. Find other voices that can then encourage and support you instead of speaking to you and encouraging you around the idols of our day. And, and again, you'll notice, you know, it'd be really nice if these idols were named Baal. You know? That would make it easy to get rid of them. You know? Or if they, you know, had, you know, a, a, a red tail, you know, and a pitchfork. It'd be easy then to say, okay, get rid of them. But it's not. They're, these idols and false gods are good things. But the problem is they're in the wrong place in our lives. And that's just always a battle before us. But, but not only do God's heroes eliminate those forces and those false gods and idols, but also boldly promote the goodness and the power of God. And that's what Elijah does here. He, he publicly, boldly promotes the goodness of God in an act of crazy faith. I mean, this is a crazy story, right? I mean, that, that he would come and pour water on the altar and then just call out God's fire to come down upon the sacrifice. 
we then also, as God's hero, want to boldly promote the goodness and power of God in our lives. We, we want to find where are those sources, where are those voices, those influences that help us in that way, that continue to point us to God, like coming here and singing to God and hearing His Word, gathering with other believers who will, in depth of relationship with God, help to encourage and support us and challenge us and help us to keep our eyes on the one true God and not all the false gods that are around us vying for our heart, vying for our soul, for our desire. To, to really, to spend time regularly. I mean, this is not stuff that's new, but reading His Word, being in the, the Word of truth. In our families, in our, in our marriages, to pray for one another. I mean, just like Elijah, his word was a word of prayer. He was calling out to God. God did the work. Elijah was praying. So to gather together regularly as we fight the evil in our, our world, as we oppose the false gods, as we eliminate them, we need to be gathering in our homes praying for God to be at work. Praying with one another for God to be at work, for God to be number one. And, and I encourage you also in your workplace, at school, as, as needs or concerns are raised by others, that you simply join in the relationship and say, you know, I'm going to pray with you that God will bring victory, that God will bring healing, that God will bring what is right. He will bring justice. And to boldly say, I mean, you don't have to wave a sign, you don't have to have neon lights, but just to stand up and say, I believe God is at work and I'm going to pray that God will be working in whatever that need is. And then pray. And then watch for how God might be at work. I mean, it hit me in this that at times, because I do a lot of praying for different needs, and, uh, but I was convicted, maybe I'm too silent. Maybe I need to speak, come alongside those that I'm praying for and, and simply say, you know, I'm, I'm praying for God to, to work in a powerful way in your life. Whatever that need is, whatever the, the concern is. Not in order for me to look good, but so that it might be clear that God looks good when He does His work in our lives and the lives around us. And we enter into the evil of the world in God's power. God's, God's heroes then. We, we oppose the false gods around us directly and we promote and lift up the goodness and power of God. All right, now, the, the third, third thing that we see in Elijah is, is a little bit of a, another sort of jump here because what we see here in the, the third part in, in chapter 19 is that God's heroes in the midst of this battle can easily lose hope and end in despair. Um, if, uh, if you still got your Bibles open or you want to turn back, we'll, we'll pick up in chapter 19. And uh, we'll just walk through this uh, here. Um, Ahab, uh, the king, is now goes back to Jezebel, the queen, and we see what happens and how Elijah responds here. So Ahab told Jezebel, this is uh, 19 verse 1, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, there's now bounty on Elijah. And Jezebel has said it. To, uh, to have him killed just like the prophets of Baal. So verse 3, Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. You know, it, I, I don't, for, for me, this is a strangely comforting part of the passage. Because <laughs> did you just read what happened to Elijah? And have you heard all that had happened? I mean, he had raised somebody from the dead. He had this unending jug of oil. And then he, he poured water on this altar with wood and a bull and called forth God's power. And it came down and caused this, um, this, uh, this huge explosion and caught the thing on fire. And now there's this woman saying she's going to kill him and he's running scared. You know... We are a weak, frail people. You know, we can all relate. We all know. We all know that we're, we're, we're here singing, Amen, break every chain, and we know what's going to happen. In another 30 minutes, we're going to be loaded down by the chains of life. You know, I mean, that's just, we are a weak, frail people. And so to be God's heroes doesn't mean we're superhuman. We are fully human. And we are engaging and walking and trusting God, opposing the false gods, seeking to promote Him as the powerful, good God over all the universe. But we are weak. All right, verse 4. But He Himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that He might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. See, what, what Elijah, what's going on with Elijah, why is he no better than his ancestors? It's because Israel is still following false gods. You know, the results that Elijah expected and wanted didn't happen, you know, overnight. He, he did, he's, it was all going to turn. He's no better than Ahab. He's no better than the kings before him because the people didn't turn. So now, uh, Elijah, he's spiraling down. Okay, I, just kill me. I'm done. I mean, he is in a place of deep despair. I don't want to mean to make light of that despair when God doesn't work according to our timing. When God doesn't do what He knows, we know it's possible for Him to do, and we know one day He will do, but He doesn't do in the moment. That's where Elijah is in the midst of his despair. But if you you read on the rest of that paragraph, then Elijah he he cares for Elijah. He gives him sleep. He he brings food to him that just shows up, sort of like manna in the wilderness. He's in he's in the wilderness basically forty days instead of forty years, and God provides for him that food. And then at the uh, end of the forty days and forty nights, he. Uh, um, goes to Horeb, the, the mountain of God. Ver, then pick it up at verse 9 of chapter 19. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Elijah feels like, even now, that he is all alone. Even in the presence of God, he's feeling all alone and broken. But God, God is is clear to him that what Elijah wants is not what's going to happen. Because Elijah wants God's wrath. He said, I'm zealous, they're not, take them out. You know, get rid of them. Go ahead, take them all out. And when God shows up, he shows up not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, but in the sound of silence. Now, if you look at Psalm 18, verses 7 through 10, you you find one of the the contexts for earthquake and wind and fire that come together as signs of God's wrath, of His anger. This is Psalm 18. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because... He was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew and he sped upon the wings of the wind. There's earthquake, fire, and wind in the context of God's anger. But in this situation with Elijah, he's saying, Elijah, no, that's not my response. He comes giving the true definition of the strong, silent type. There's a different strength here. There's a strength of, of presence, a strength of certainty that God is in control. See, God's heroes... We can lose hope in our humanness, in our short-sightedness, in our limited um, perspective. Uh, we don't necessarily get what we want when we want it. 
But God is still sovereign. God is still the one that we trust. He's still the true God. And get, again, what happens then, right after this, God doesn't correct. He just directs Elijah. He directs him. The, the next thing that, that he, he says after this, after Elijah complains again that he's all alone by himself, that he's the only one that's good, then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He directs him. Right now, Elijah, you go appoint this one and this one and this one, and they're going to carry the mantle now. My, my, my plan of redemption and salvation, it's, it's not thwarted at all. It, it, it's still right on time. And they will carry out. They will continue to oppose the false gods and the false prophets. They will continue to promote the goodness of my name. Oh, yeah. And Elijah, there's 7,000 others. You are not alone. You never were alone. Go back. There are 7,000 that have not bowed down to Baal. So friends, we are heroes. Heroes of heaven. Part of God's heroes who are called to oppose the false gods the idols around us who are called and empowered then to, to, to lift up the, the powerful name of God in our lives and to leave the results to God. He is the one that is in control and in His time will lead and direct His plan of salvation to its complete and perfect ending. God is the hero. He is faithful. He's faithful to Israel in their direct disobedience. He's faithful to Elijah even in his despair and in his worry. Even when he wants to quit, God is the hero. And as we are opposing the false gods and lifting up the God of all creation that's in Jesus Christ, he will finish the work. Amen.